0: Welcome into another edition of Battle Plans. I'm Tony Lombardi, and I'm joined by James Ogden and Deb Panchois from Russell Street Report. This edition of Battle Plans is brought to you by Rock Spring Financial Group. Rick Metzger and his team of professionals work with many lenders, and their goal is to find the right one to fit your mortgage needs, whatever they are. If you're seeking financing for a dream home, vacation home, rental property, get the right fit with Rock Spring Financial. Others have taken my suggestion and walked away from the table smiling ear to ear. Call them at 443-801-6389. Again, that's 443-801-6389. And speaking of smiling from ear to ear, James, you had a trip to the States. Tell us about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, it was great, Tony. It was um, it was amazing to get out um, after so long. You know, it's been a it's been a few years since I've been, and it's been a couple of years since I've even been able to go. So uh, it was great to come out. spent spent a while in spent a, few, a weekend in Chicago and saw saw the Ravens beat the Bears. saw a Lamar uh, <laughs> Ravens minus Lamar beat the Bears. Flew out to to New York to to see uh, to see my good friend Ev. Um, and podcast partner, Dev, and uh, we had a great time in New York and then flew to New Orleans and, and saw some some college games and a Thanksgiving game and then flew back to Baltimore and, and saw the, um, the Ravens beat the Browns on Sunday Night Football and it was just, it was a fantastic trip. And you saw me. And I saw you, Tony. How <laughs> <laughs> forgettable oh.
0: I must have <laughs> been. Not at all,
1: Tony. <laughs> Uh, we of course, yeah, we and Tony met up uh, just before the Browns game, uh, which I went to with uh, Mike Crawford uh, at Abakari on Twitter, um, uh, and met Tony and, and your lovely wife, Tony, and it was great to great to finally meet you as well, um, and to meet so many people across the trip. It was it was awesome. And you know,
0: besides all the fun and the memories you created, the Ravens were two and zero during your
1: trip. Exactly, I feel like I'm a, I'm a good. I mean, I, I wasn't a good omen when I first started seeing the Ravens because um, I don't know many Ravens fans will remember. I'm sure the British fans will um, remember the abomination of a London trip, <laughs> losing to what was a terrible Jags team at the time by by 30 points. Yeah, and, well, yeah. I, yeah. and I watched, uh, I watched a Ryan Mallet led Ravens lose badly to the Seahawks. So I didn't used to be a good omen, but I, I clearly am now. Yeah, you so gotta what, are stay, you, what are you doing me. Sunday
0: at four twenty-five? You're going to be
2: in Pittsburgh.
1: <laughs> I wish. <laughs> we have to
2: petition uh, the team get on that, Tony. Right? It's got to make it make it work.
0: You cannot stare down good mojo. You have to embrace
1: it. <laughs> get me out there.
0: So, talk about your experience at MT Bank Stadium Monday night, just from a fan perspective. I know that the ravens did some special things with the lights and i'm not sure if you're a fan of the wire james
1: but the the whole omar thing i think is really cool the whistle is cool isn't it it's um it's amazing to to be there in person and they did they did yeah did some great things with the with the lights off it was just a it was a hell of an atmosphere heck of an atmosphere and it was just a great so it was a yeah it was a great time to be there i i think i kind of lost my voice a little bit from cheering from shouting too much on the on third down. But yeah, it was just it was great. It was great to be there. And I thought the Ravens did a really good job of um of creating that atmosphere on on Sunday night. And it and it certainly made a difference, I think. Yeah, they do a great job with that. Their their website, their multimedia
0: team and and what they're doing out there at the stadium is like second to none. So you know props to those guys. But just looking at that game, James, you know, my takeaway from the the win over the Browns 16 to 10 on Sunday night, it was more of one of relief. And and also the biggest takeaway was that the Ravens proved that they could beat a tough team when Lamar Jackson was at his absolute worst.
1: Yeah, they they certainly did. I I think the Browns. I think the Browns beat themselves a little bit uh on Sunday night. I think the the dominant the the real dominant performance was from the from the Ravens defense, which I was extremely impressed with. The way they they limited that offense, they they you know the, the Browns got away from the run, and I think they probably could have stuck to it a little more, but they got away from the run a lot because because of what the Ravens did on defense, and it really was a, a dominant defensive performance. While missing so many so much personnel, uh, I thought that was a, that was really great. I thought there was some questionable play calls from the Browns, and I thought they 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 could have done a better job themselves. But it really was you're right. You know, to to, to have a four interception game from Lamar and to still walk away <clears throat> still walk away with the win is a uh, is a big deal. Do you have yeah, your
2: thoughts? I think, yeah, and I, I I wanted to piggyback off that. I think there was a mental, an emotional, uh, uh, kind of overwhelming that the Ravens. Have were able to accomplish against the Browns. Like they won the mental battle or like the kind of, I think, emotionally exhausted the Browns. And there's an aspect when, when you're stopping the run like that, it kind of just, it sucks the life out of the team. I I think the injury to Jack Conklin was also a big key moment in that game. Uh, I think it emotionally might've affected that Browns unit even more so uh, because you see a guy like that, you know, you're waiting for him to come back into the lineup. And then, uh, you know, he, I think he tore his patella tendon. I mean, that's just a terrible injury for them. Uh, But I think between those things, like the early down, and James and I talked about this offline, but early down success for the Browns is like ripping off six or seven and eight yard gains. It's kind of like the Derrick Henry effect for Tennessee. If you can hold them to five and under, all of a sudden, that's a victory. All of a sudden the crowd's into it. All of a sudden that defensive front is in the lather. And I think it just kind of, you know, kind of uh, ca- cascaded from there emotionally and everything else. And I agree with James; they could have maybe continued to c- press the issue, run the ball more. But I think the Ravens kind of just got to them psychologically. And let's see if they can um, turn it around after the bye week. But that's a big win if they did get to them psychologically to kind of just to to kind of just go back, turn the clock back to those old school Ravens defenses that kind of were able to do that to teams that ran the ball well.
0: We know that Lamar is not going to have a game like that again, and I mean the stat line was awful, but when you look at the L22, it gets even worse. You know some of the plays that he left on the field, but all that said, I think the lesson is that they learned they can win without Lamar wearing a Superman's cape.
1: Yeah, and I, I, I being there was interest was was useful actually because I, I turned to Mike at one point and said. I I think there there may have been I I don't think he was I mean, this might just be me making excuses for him but I I think there may have been lingering effects from the from the virus because he was treated kind of oddly on on Sunday night you know they, they there was a thirty second timeout out one point and a guy flew onto the onto the field and and put a coat a massive coat around him just for a thirty second time out so it did feel like maybe there was still some sort of lingering effects from the virus uh, that, that he'd had. So I, I don't know whether that played into it. Like I said, maybe I'm just making excuses, but it, it looked to me like there was something going on there.
0: I agree with you because I noticed the same thing. And I don't know if you noticed this at the game, James, but they Lamar was wearing a long sleeve shirt under his jersey when he first came out, something he typically does not do. Probably speaks to your point. And I, I think that he just felt uncomfortable with it because eventually he took that off.
1: Yeah, it just, it. sorry, David. I was going to say, he just seemed, he just didn't seem, It just seemed off, I think, uh, like that, those, those interceptions are, I mean, uh, there's plenty of people who will, will use those as confirmatory, confirmatory to, towards their already negative opinions about Lamar. For me, those, those interceptions were uncharacteristic of him. So I, I look for other reasons as to why that happened.
2: You guys remember that Jets win that the Ravens had years ago with Joe Flacco throwing four interceptions and they won. They won that game regardless of that. That was against Rex's Jets. It was at, it was, I think it was a home game. It reminded me so much of that because I don't think Lamar, I mean, compared to Joe, Joe would have a four or five interception game here and there and just kind of get it out of a system. And Lamar doesn't even get to that point. This is uncharacteristic from even approach that many interceptions. So I agree with James in a macro sense, I don't think it's a big deal because on one hand, if this is the worst, let him get it out of the system. They still won the game, and the defense had a, had an opportunity to step up and and win the game for this team, which I think they needed from a morale standpoint. So I think this actually might help the team long-term this season. But that being said, I hope he's he's dialed in this week. We'll talk about it, though. So the Ravens pull off the victory. They advance to eight and
0: three on the season. They are the number one seed as that stands today in the AFC. And guys, if you had told me this would be the case after, and you also plotted out all the injuries, all the obstacles, all the adversity there at this point, I think
2: they could be a dangerous team from this point forward. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's an interesting. It's interesting how this gauntlet that we talked about before the schedule, uh, the back half of the schedule lined up, and now all of a sudden you see a lot of flaws and all these teams that they're facing. Other than the, the Packers, to me, I mean, the Bengals are, are probably another. I think worthy opponent, and that's going to be tough, of course, because it's on the road. But these games kind of line up nicely for them from a home home st- stretch standpoint. You're also seeing, and I think the biggest key for me, offensively, uh, they they may be able to make some improvements, but defensively they've made significant improvements, uh, and they're I, they just continue to get better every single week. Uh, this this display that they had in terms of shutting down the Browns' run run offense or rush offense uh, is a big one, but if you look at the overall. Defense, the, the, the way they've gotten guys to step up, particularly Tyus Bowser, Justin Matabike, uh, Patrick Queen, we've been talking about. There's some key guys that are playing their best football right now. So it's kind of lining up for them uh, to kind of get back to that old school Ravens style of football going into December, January, the colder months when they kind of impose their will.
0: So now the Ravens turn their attention towards the Steelers. The Steelers are 5-5 five, five and one the only team not to have beaten the Detroit Lions this year. They've struggled on offense and now their defense is beginning to struggle. I think they've given up what 82 points over the last two games and they're just struggling. And when you look at the Ravens' history going back to 2018, they have the NFL's best record in the month of December, 13 and 2. And the Ravens have won 12 of their last or past 13 December games including four straight. So we're recording this on Thursday morning and we know that the Ravens are still the injury report. They're still a little nicked up. It's a lengthy report. I think of like 13 guys, Calais Campbell still in concussion protocol, although he did show up on the practice field on a limited basis, which is a good sign that he'll probably play on Sunday, but the Steelers look a little healthier. Let's talk about that game guys and, and what the Ravens are going to go up against when they face the Steelers, you know, We've said this before, and we'll say it again here, that being a rivalry game, it doesn't seem to matter if if Ryan Mallett's quarterbacking the Ravens and Ben Roethlisberger in his prime's quarterbacking the Steelers. This game always seems to be a close one, you know, within seven points and, and very, very often within three points. So uh, let, let's dial into this game and focus in first on what the Ravens need to do offensively against the Steelers defense. James, I'll start with you.
1: Yeah, and I think you sort of hit the nail on the head by talking about the injury report, Tony. Because um, although the the Steelers are generally more healthy than the Ravens, their defense, um, and particularly the defensive front, is not healthy, uh, and so they are missing some really, really key parts of their of their defensive front. and And if people remember back to the the two thousand and twenty defense for the Steelers, it was built on that defensive front, and the the defensive front in that 2020 year was Bud Dupree uh, and TJ Watt on the edges. And it was Cam Hayward, Stephon Tewitt and Tyson Alo-Alo of the middle. They are missing to it, and they are, and TJ Watt has been put on the COVID list as of Monday. And so is likely to miss this game. So and Dup- Bud Dupree is now in Nashville. So, uh, and Alo-Alo is also missing. He's on IR. So they are, they really are missing really key stalwart parts up front and it's a big deal for their defense people that people forget but two of it last year was better than Hayward in terms of pass uh, in terms of pass rush production so that they, they really are missing that and, and when they had those five across the across that defensive front it just meant that you couldn't focus your resources for protection on on one element of their of their defensive front you had to, you really had to split it out and it made it made you Pit your best against their best and if that was the case this week for the ravens it would be a bloodbath they would not be able to 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 be able to to double team some of those 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 um, big guys up front so th- they can what they can afford to do i think and one of the first keys for me to this game is to is to focus their resources elsewhere you know so they don't have to they can obviously they need to they need to pay some attention to cam hayward inside but every, everywhere else, we're kind of looking at a team that is not as not as dominant up front, and so you you can release some of your resources elsewhere, and and that's why in in the in battle plans, I've talked a little bit about how you might use Pat Ricard, Nick Boyle, Latavius Murray in different ways, and not have to use them in max protection, and actually you could sort of decoy using them in max max protection, and then and then get them out um, into a route. I, I think that's one of the first keys to the game for the Ravens, which is taking advantage of the fact that this is a, a banged up Steelers defensive front.
2: You know, I wonder too, that's a great point about those three being decoy screens because we've seen the usage of that engage and then have them slip out uh, chip plays. So that helps two ways because it helps slow down the pass rush. But then you also have a built-in, Play, And I think they hit on one against Devante uh, with Devante Freeman and it was a middle screen. They had the Pat Ricard play the week before that uh, they just couldn't execute with um, Tyler Huntley, which could have gone for about 20 yards at least. I also wonder if Devin Duvernay, this is like a Devin Duvernay game, too, because he's continued to be sprinkled in on these horizontal tunnel plays or, or, or jet sweeps and things like that. But get him going on the fl- in the flats, I think, is another thing to do and, and kind of just get those uh, – to get that open space opportunity for him. Uh, but I, I could see him being a chess piece as well. But either way, I mean, Ravens uh, have some weapons that they could use in the flats, and I think uh, that's that's a good call from James. Yeah,
0: Ricard yeah. Boyle and Murray out in the flats is a good strategy against that kind of defense if you don't need those resources to help in the protection schemes. And I would argue that the Ravens
1: offensive line did a pretty decent job against a formidable <laughs> defensive front for the Browns. They certainly did. And I think they can, they can carry that momentum into this game. I think the one thing to look out for in this game is so Lamar is the most blitzed quarterback in the league. I think, the thing to look out for in this game reading the tea leaves from Mike Tomlin's post-game comments um, after the game against the Bengals seems like they might make some philosophical adjustments some schematic adjustments so I, I might expect to see a bit more of the Blitz this week the, the Steelers are a kind of middle of the road blitzing team. They don't, in terms of volume, they don't blitz a ton, but I think they may sort of dial it up this week um, because of the mixture of facing the Ravens and and teams thinking that the blitz is the way to attack the Ravens' offense. Uh, but also without TJ Watt, you might expect to see some more of the of, of a blitz this week. But I think that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be successful. I don't think they're a particularly successful blitzing team anymore. I think the Mike Hilton revenge game that happened uh, last weekend sort of showed you what they, what they're missing. You know, they, they are missing Mike Hilton. A lot of their pressures that they were getting were predicated on, um, Guys like Mike Hilton getting home from the secondary. So they only really have Terrell Edmonds as a threat as a blitzer from the secondary. Devin Bush is still a very good blitzing linebacker, but because of the some of the weaknesses on that defensive front now, um, you're seeing some of the weakness of Devin Bush when he um, you know, has to go backwards. When he's attacking going forwards, he's a he's a real threat. But um, you can't always do that with him. So we may see some more blitz from them um than we've seen over the last few games. And so they probably do need to be ready for that. Ball needs to get out of Lamar's hands quickly. Just want to throw that out there. (laughs) It
2: just has to have that in his head. And if it means get two yards, three yards, fine. Just get rid of the ball. Don't don't, don't hold the ball.
0: Yeah, I think, too, that they should probably think about those kinds of passes on first down just to give them a more favorable second and third situation. Because one of the things that they did against the Browns, I thought – a little too often was they left themselves in second and third and long situations. And I think they'll need to avoid that. And that'll help calm down that blitz. But one of the guys you mentioned that's going to be that the Ravens should use in attacking the flats, Nick Boyle. I thought it was interesting that he only had 10 snaps against the Browns and that's down from the the output that he had against the bears in Chicago. I'm just wondering if he might even not, might not even see much playing time this week, if they're going to nurse him along, considering that Heinz field is traditionally a a turf that's chewed up and not the most solid footing. So it wouldn't surprise me if Eric Tomlinson fills that role more so than Nick Boyle, but moving on to to the run game, guys, the Ravens, I I did like the fact that they stuck with the run against the Browns. And I think we saw how that wore them down on that final drive. And I think they had maybe over 125 yards of, of offense on the ground. And I like to see them do that against the Steelers because the Steelers, with their, their porous run defense, they're a little vulnerable there,
1: James. They really are. And you hit the nail on the head on first down as well earlier, Tony, because this is this defense is the, the worst team on first down, the worst defense on first down efficiency-wise. So uh, that that is that is a big key. I hit on it earlier. That Tyson Alo-Alo not being part of this team is a huge loss to that defense. And they, you're right. They, they do have a porous run defense. And – where where teams have attacked them well, and it's something I hit on in battle plans, is um is with with outside zone, um and it's something that the Ravens don't do a whole whole lot of the outside zone run, run um, blocking scheme. It's something that you see from from lots of other teams, like the Browns that we that we just saw, um but we you don't see it a ton from the Ravens. They run a lot of gap runs, which the Steelers have worked pretty well to to stop, um because Hayward is still good. Um, Chris Wormley, um, former Raven, is pretty good as well at stopping the run. So you do have some good run run defenders in that defense, but it's not great as a unit. And when they when you are able to run outside zone against them, uh, you're able to sort of get outside them. And then when you get to the second level and into the open field, the Steelers are, are pretty bad as a run defense once you get past that defensive front. So I'd kind of like to see the Ravens throw in some outside zone this week. It's not something they ha, they do have that club in their bag. It's just not something that they use particularly often. I'd like them to use it a little bit more. They won't be able to use it a ton more because it's not something that you can just turn, turn your whole kind of game plan to in a week. So they will have to... Um, Use some of their their other their other running game, but I think the way to attack this Browns defense is 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 either with outside zone to try and get outside them, or it's to run it up the a gap, and and that's probably where the Ravens can more easily pivot their scheme is to to some of their their runs that that target the the a gap and and target whoever is playing nose and um, because without Allo Aloe, they're just a very different uh, run defense. Trying to get
0: Lamar on track to, in the passing game. And get a little bit more confidence because you know coming off a game like he had against the Browns. Granted, he probably wasn't at 100 percent physically. I just think that he needs to get that rhythm back if they're going to make a, a strong stretch run over these last six games. So, what do you do, guys, to get his confidence back? Maybe get Hollywood Henry or Hollywood Brown into the mix because the Steelers are a little bit vulnerable on the
2: perimeter of that, that back end defense. Well, you, you know, it's interesting because the deep passing game has pretty much gone away with this. And it's not a coincidence. It's corresponding with the, the amount of blitzing that the, that the offense has faced. So they just haven't been able to execute. Teams have, t- have made a concentrated effort to take that away from the Ravens. But now all of a sudden, um, just given what the Steelers present, there could be some some things that they could do here. And I'll let James elaborate on the actual concept. I just wanted to touch on the idea that you might have to bake it in with some max protection though. And so that might mean some two-man routes with Hollywood and Bateman and maybe Andrews or just, or three-man routes if you do that. But like, you kind of want to simplify, I think those opportunities out of run formations or run heavy sets. And that way you're not, that way you're still in a position to pick up the blitz. If you if you're there, facing the blitz, but then you have that opportunity downfield to cash in with Brown. I,
1: I couldn't agree more, Dev, and I, I think I think you're right about the, that. You know, so the the passing concept I write about in the in battle plans, which I think I've written about before, is the is the Yankee concept, which is one that is usually run out of max protect. is usually run out of a heavy set for exactly the reasons you just laid out, Dev. I think that's where the Ravens need to start to potentially go to, and especially if you've established early, uh, you know th- those those early plays where <clears throat> maybe you've got Boyle, maybe you've got Ricard and Murray all on the field at the same time, and some of them are going out into the flat. Um, what you what you could do is then bring them all on the field at the same time again and have bateman and brown as, you, as your two receivers and you run the yankee concept which is basically a deep crosses that this steelers team is vulnerable to the deep pass so if you run deep crosses so you have bateman running a, and I, I think this is a particular concept that i want to see them run because it, i think it plays to both bateman and Hollywood's strengths so you have basically have a deep over route from bateman and then a deep post from from hollywood and I think you know Hollywood is the guy you'd be looking to to drive the ball to downfield for a big play, and and you can run it out of those big those max those big big personnel schemes and and have max protection behind it and give yourself some time to be able to throw the ball downfield no matter what the, the other team throws at you. So I think that's probably where they need to look to. I think the other things deep crosses are great against uh, middle of the field close coverage. The, this Steelers team is is very. They're very they run a lot of cover one, cover three. They don't leave the middle of the field open very often. And so you do need to be getting those kind of those kind of concepts running. Um and those dig routes are also another good thing to be to be running against this Steelers team. But I think Yankee is a really good um sort of concept to evidence how I think the Ravens should attack the Steelers this week.
0: Flipping over to the other side of the ball, guys, let's focus in on the defensive keys and Matt Canada, as you say, James, he's, he's not brought this his whole offense to the field yet. So talk about some of the struggles that the, the Steelers are encountering and what the Ravens can do to
1: thwart their offensive attack. Yeah, it's a really strange one because I, I haven't watched much of the Steelers um, this season until I, I started watching them this week for, for, uh, for battle plans. And I think the strange thing that I found was Matt Canada, I, I watched a little bit of um, – some stuff on him before he came to the Steelers and he has a really effect. He had a really effective scheme in college. It was quite a simple scheme had run quite simple concepts out of, but it had it ver- wildly varied formations and motion pre-snap motion to be able to disguise what he was doing. And then he he brought a kind of intelligent play calling to it to be able to, to really really put defenses on the back foot. And he ran some really effective offenses in college. What's been strange with the Steelers is that he's brought in the pre-snap motion. They use pre-snap motion more heavily than most of the teams in the league. But what they don't do is they don't vary their formation. So they're one of the heaviest teams for running 11 personnel in the league, which is exactly what they were doing um, last season and what they've continued to do from the same from, from last season is this, is this sort of vanilla short passing game um, that you're able to to sit on quite easily. And, you know, I would say Chase Claypool probably hasn't quite taken that next step. And what they haven't been able to do with the short passing game is they haven't been able to get run after the catch either. So it's quite a vanilla passing offense. And and that's been a bit of a struggle given that, you know, Matt Canada was kind of brought into to, to sort of, to implement his offense. And we'll talk about the run game in a second, which also he hasn't managed to, to, to improve, which was something that he was very good at in college as well. His, his running offenses were particularly good, but, but specifically with the passing offense, he just hasn't been able to, to bring anything new to the, to the passing offense. And and what it's done is it's just, is really shown they have not, you know, this, this offense is still built on those out routes, the flat routes, slants, screens, it's all those short routes that I think the Ravens should be able to deal with pr- pretty comfortably.
2: It also seems as though this would have been trouble for them a couple of weeks ago with their tackling, but the tackling's gotten much better. I agree with you, James. Like watch, I've watched the Steelers quite a bit in pieces and chunks throughout the year. And I think what they're really missing is Juju because he is a guy that could make those plays for them underneath, catch the ball and gain an extra five or six yards. Claypool, is capable of doing that. And he's been kind of a gadget guy for them. They'll hand the ball off to him. They'll get him in space, but he's more of a deep ball guy. And so uh, I don't know that that offensive scheme really fits his style along with Deontay Johnson, who's their best player, but it's just interesting to look at the scheme, marrying the players. And it doesn't look like it's quite working out this year, Uh, but the Ravens, you know, continue, they need to continue to be aggressive and be solid with their tackling approach. And then, and just snuffing out the screens underneath stuff. If they can do that, um, that's a big, that's a big key to this game.
0: One of the guys that the Ravens have yet to encounter, but they will on Sunday at Heinz field is rookie running back Najee Harris. And so far he's, he's been a workhorse. He's had 196 carries, 708 yards, 3.6 yards per carry. They run a lot of zone blocking schemes. He's, to me, as a runner, guys, he's impressive, but that overall scheme is certainly controllable. He averaged 2.9 yards per carry against the Bengals, 3.2 against the Chargers. So he's, falling, he's fallen off a bit over the last few games. Maybe he's hit that rookie wall. But for me, the danger of him is more in the passing game. Talk about the zone concepts that the Steelers run in the running game, as well as Najee as part of their, their passing game.
1: Well this is this is the other the other part of the Steelers offense that I was surprised to see because Matt Canada in college with uh, various different college teams ran a really effective really effectively multiple running game and so would would mix in gap runs much more than you would see ordinarily from a team that from from teams that uh, in college so what you saw was a, a real effective mix of gap and zone runs and uh, it was really difficult to defend what you see from the from his Steelers offense is a majority inside zone outside zone running game They mix it in pretty evenly inside zone and outside zone. They try and throw in some power, some counter, some duo. They've had some success with counter, but not very much with power and duo. And so it's really interesting that Najee, despite being extremely, um, you know, despite looking like an extremely effective rookie, actually averages 3.6 yards per carry, like you mentioned, uh, Tony. So it's not, he isn't the most potent rusher. And I don't think it's from from lack of talent, it's, it's from his sort of being pretty, pretty well um, bowled up by this scheme alone, really. Uh, He is much more of a threat in the passing game. And and that is going to be a, that is a concern. And they do have some guys, secondary guys in the passing game, like, um, like Najee Harris, like Pat Fryermuth, who we need to be a little bit careful. The rooms need to be a little bit careful of this week, but that run game is not particularly effective. And and what you're seeing is while they're running the ball and awful that pre snap motion, I've mentioned before they're running the ball an awful lot with that pre snap motion, but it isn't having an effect. It's not actually helping. And I think one of the reasons is they run the ball when they, when they do use pre snap motion, it's, it's almost a tell that they are running the ball. They run the ball much more behind, behind that motion than they do throwing the ball. And so I, I, I think that the difference between inside zone and outside zone is not, is not, huge and and you should be able to read those, you should be able to read those blocks pretty well. And from the offensive lineman, if you can key on the motion, you can key on the blocks. I think the Ravens should be able to, to pretty, pretty well stop those, stop that stop that running game. You know, the zone blocking scheme, especially the outside zone blocking scheme in the last few, the last few times the Ravens have faced it. It didn't matter what personnel was on the field. They were struggling. They were missing guys, but they were still able to stop the run pretty effectively. So Let's hope – I would imagine we'll see that again this week. And, and you know, the threat from Najee, like you said, Tony, will come, from, will come from him in the passing game.
0: So you look at the Steelers' passing game again, The Ben Roethlisberger is the king of dink and dunk still, and he's getting the ball off. And I think the average that I saw is 2.4 seconds. So he's relying a lot on, like, guys like – Deontay to be able to catch the ball in space and make a play after the catch. And every now and then you'll see him throw a, a nine route down the sideline to chase Claypool. So James and Dev, I'll start with you, Dev. If you are Wink Martindale, how are you attacking Ben Roethlisberger from a pass rush perspective?
2: Yeah, no, I like the idea to, to lean on simulated pressures because I think Ben is still smart and cagey and crafty enough. He's seen wigs fallout pressures. Uh, I think you still got to bake it in for sure, because there's times when he's just not going to be able to handle it no matter what it's just going to overwhelm that wide and Ben's not the same quarterback, but I think he's still capable of burning you just because of his, his IQ and, and his experience. So I like to lean more on those simulated pressures and, and he saw the Ravens uh, dial it up a few times with Baker on some, I don't know if they were all out pressures. I think, you know, final few drives. Uh, of course, the final drive, they did do that. And, and they, they did take some, um, some more risk and came with those all out pressures. So I think, but I'd still lean to the simulated pressures more so because I think that's going to be enough for the Ravens to get Ben uh,
1: um, in hot water and, 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 and
2: force him. To get rid of the ball quickly.
1: Yeah, you you hit that you hit the nail on the head there, Dev. It, it, you know it, it's it's definitely, I, I I would agree. I think the simulated pressures, and I think with simulate with the simulated pressures, I think there would be a number of times that I would uh, drop everyone and just rush three. Because when you look at uh, Rothersberger this version of Ben Rothersberger, He's very good um, if you bring a vanilla four, or you bring one extra rusher, he's going to carve you up. He wants to get the ball out quick. And if you give him a window where you've brought an extra rusher from to get the ball out quick, he will do. But if you drop everyone underneath or you bring the house um, and get to him very quickly, and you, you can affect his accuracy. Um, because if you drop everyone underneath, he's got to throw a slightly... Um, He's got to throw a much more accurate ball, a slightly off-center ball. He can't just throw it. in The guy's numbers, you know, you're you're starting to make him, uh, you're starting to affect his accuracy. And I think that's the way to that's the way to to bring pressure against him. Um, either all or nothing, basically. Uh, bring everyone or, or just rush three and drop everybody else. I think that's the way you do it. And and you know, this like we've like we've talked about this. This passing offense isn't particularly potent, so I'm not that worried about it. A few years ago. He was a running back for UCLA,
0: moved on to SMU where he became a cornerback, and now he plays safety for the Baltimore Ravens. I'm talking about Brandon Stevens, who has shown flashes of becoming a very good player, but he's also made some rookie mistakes. He's going to have his hands full this week with the Steelers young and dynamic tight end Pat Frymuth. So talk about that a little
1: bit, guys. Yeah, for me, this is this is the matchup of the week. Uh there are loads of matchups across this across this game that are really interesting. I can't wait to see a Daffe go up against some some um bad tackle play and Tevon Young on Deontay Johnson and a few others. But I think the thing with the thing for this game is is just really intriguing for me is to see the two rookies because I think I think he'll have Pat Frymouth on him a little bit, Brandon Stevens. But I think the other thing is just really interesting to watch Brandon Stevens in this game because I think you're gonna need a guy like Stevens to be able to to come up and be fundamentally sound in the angles he takes. I was talking to to Mike Crawford about this at the game um on Sunday and, and he thinks that one of the kind of the the areas for development in Stevens game so far is those angles um that he takes to the football. And I, I would agree. I think and I also think it's something that will come, you know, it's something that's uh, that's a thing that that will develop as you as you sort of settle into the game a bit more. You know, he's been He's come he's as you mentioned, Tony, he was a running back. He's only just stopped. you know, only just playing defensive back for the last couple of years. So that kind of thing comes with a bit more experience. I think he's, you know, it's going to be really important that he he'll he sort of sets the tone and is and is able to to tackle those those guys as they look to get that run after the catch that Dev talked about earlier. And you know, him against Fryamuth is is a matchup that might that we might see a lot over the coming years because they've both shown. Um, just flashes of of being of being really good players for the future. Yeah, we got about thirty seconds. Any final thoughts? Yeah, I just wanted to expand on one
2: thing with those sim pressures that that I thought of. One thing to look out for: Tyus Bowser. He's the key guy because they run packages with him on the field, and I I believe Patrick Queen's off the field, or he's their their only stand up linebacker. So it gives them some versatility. Just wanted to throw that out there. That was a nice, it's been a wrinkle they've implemented at times this year, but it really showed up against the Browns. You saw that on the final drive where Bowser dropped into coverage and they were still able to pressure with that front effectively without losing that pass rush juice that Bowser usually brings. So that's Battle Plans for this week
0: against the Steelers. Be sure to check out James' complete Battle Plans on Russell Street Report. Thanks for tuning in and please subscribe to Battle Plans wherever you get your podcast. We'll talk to you again next week.